your name The mountains shake and crumble At your name The oceans roar and tumble At your name The angels will bow The earth will rejoice Your people cry out Lord of all the earth We shout your name Shout your name Filling up the skies with going on right now. So if you're in the room, it you know, doesn't mean you have to join, but if you just want to know more about how we do what we are, why we do what we do, and how we do it, all that kind of stuff, it's in the library, which is right there if you go out the doors. Uh, they have, uh, they're going to be starting here in the next couple minutes, so if you're interested in that, go check that out. Uh, if you're already part of us or just don't care about that, uh, we're going to jump into some more songs. Uh, I say it every week, but uh, don't be a spectator. Uh, join with us. Holy is a lamb 
the Lamb that was slain. Forever we will worship, we will sing, we will stand before you and proclaim that you are the Lord. Celebrate the name above all names. Lift up your voice and sing to our worthy King. Raise your hands up high for a sacrifice. Give a shout of praise. Let all creation sing. So come and celebrate the name above all names. Lift up your voice and sing to our worthy King. Raise your hands up high for a sacrifice. Give a shout of praise. Let all creation sing. Oh, we sing. Holy is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. Forever we will worship, we will sing. We will stand before you and proclaim that you are the Lord. And holy is our Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. Forever we will worship, we will sing. We will stand before you and proclaim that you are the Lord. Sing this out together, you the Lord of all. And you are the Lord of all. Yes, you are the Lord of all. And you are the Lord of all. Yes, you are the Lord of all. Yes, you are the Lord of all. You are the Lord.
everlasting amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean singing how marvelous Is my sin. 
If you would, and if you can, please stand as we read today's scripture. Read it out loud with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that is so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So we've done this song a bunch. Uh, it's called Be Enthroned. Um, I had somebody come up to me and ask me a question about it a little while ago, and I thought maybe if that person had a question, maybe some other people had some questions. So I just kind of wanted to walk through the song a little bit and kind of clarify the meaning behind the song. It's a song I wrote a long time ago, but uh, the idea is we get to the chorus and we sing, uh, Be Enthroned with our worship to you uh, by the praise that you're due. And the question was asked basically, are we putting God on the throne? Are we making God God? Is that kind of what we're saying? Totally not it, okay? So um, the idea of the song is basically, he's God no matter what. He's, he's God whether you acknowledge it or not, right? If somebody says they're an atheist or whatever, it doesn't change who God is. He's still God. So the idea is that we, humbling ourselves, surrendering, coming before him saying, I enthrone you as God over my life. Like you're God regardless. That's not gonna change, right? But there's an attitude that changes inside when you start saying, I'm enthroning you over my life. When we get to a bridge and it starts talking over our suffering, over our fears, our tears, all these kind of things. And it's just that, it's that idea of like over everything that I have, everything, every dream, everything that I want, I put you over that. And so that's the idea of the song. I just wanted to clear that up. I didn't know if anybody else kind of felt weird about the song singing, uh, enthroning him and, and feeling like you're making him God or anything like that. But Anyway, just want to kind of clear that up, and, and hopefully, like, as we sing through the song, maybe kind of a fresh new meaning of, like, you know, it's, a, it's an act of surrender. It's an act of putting him where he belongs. Like, he's already there. It's a, it's a fact of you coming before him humbly saying, I acknowledge that I need you. You're God. I'm putting you over everything that I have. So with that said, let's sing this together. Who is like our God? Spoken, there was love. Saw how it should be. And who is like our God? We sent His Son to die to set the captive free. We will exalt You, our God, the King. Over all the earth, we will sing. Be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you're due. Be enthroned, let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume.
with strength beyond compare, love that knows no end. Who is like our God, the ever-reigning King, and always faithful friend? We will exalt you, our God, the The sin of perfume, lifting you where you belong, will be enthroned. And over all our suffering, and over all our fear, and over every sickness, and over every tear, over all. Oh, I 
say thank you. Lord, this, uh, this walk that you've called us to is, it's a weird one sometimes if we're being honest. Um, the fact that you would declare people like us holy and righteous and 
Sometimes we stand before you just totally imperfect and totally unworthy. But God, we stand on your promises. We enthrone you. We say, God, help us to surrender. Uh, one thing that, you know, Pastor Mark tells us all the time that now that our sin is forgiven, our struggle is trust. Our struggle is surrendering to you. So God, I just ask that you would help us as we leave here this today and go through our week. You're worth it. You're worth the surrender. You're worth laying everything down for. And so God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a uh, quick announcement for me, and then uh, our uh, awesome uh, youth pastor is going to come up and talk to you guys. Shut me out. Not cool. Hey, um, so two, well, I guess a year ago, uh, we, had, we had a first year of Grow Camp, and uh, so we had a second year of Grow Camp this year. Um, I wrote a song. We've sang it a thousand times here. It's called Grow and uh, I finally got it recorded, and it is up on all the streaming services. So just want to throw that out there. If you want to stream it, you can. Uh, if you don't, whatever. Uh, <laughs> just want to throw that out there that it is available on all the streaming. If you don't know how to do that, if you're still stuck in the CD age, uh, check with me after service, and I'll get you set up on something. But, yeah, I just want to let you guys know that, that it's a, it is available now. Yeah. That's awesome. Now we can grow at home. That's great. Perfect. Good morning, church. Welcome. Glad you decided to join us today and worship King Jesus together as a family. If you're joining us online, welcome to you as well. I have uh, just a couple of things that I'd like to share with you. Number one, several weeks ago, uh, we uh, sort of uh, we honored and recognized our seniors. I just wanted to say thank you for the outpouring of love by way of your gifts and your notes and your prayers and all of those different things that you've done for our seniors, our graduates. Uh, I know they left just feeling loved, and I wanted to say thank you, and we appreciate you doing that for them. The second thing is, uh, this Friday, we are leaving for Adventure Camp in Colorado. I know, how exciting. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Uh, but today, right after service, we're going to have a meeting for that trip. Uh, so parents and students who are going on the trip, we're going to meet in the student center uh, to take care of that meeting and to give you all of the nitty-gritty details of our trip, all right? So uh, without further ado, I will invite up the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Pastor Mark. You didn't say our awesome pastor. Our awesome pastor. I told you to say awesome pastor. They muted my mic. <laughs> Hello. It has been, it feels like it's been forever. And it is so good to be back. We went on a two-week vacation. We were actually here the morning of graduation. And then uh, Julie and Annie and I left to celebrate her graduating with her CPA license uh, for two weeks. And we went to Virginia. And everything you think about the North is true. We got COVID up there. So this last week, we have been in quarantine in our home, and we are over that. And, I, and people are like, quarantine? Do you still do that thing? For five days after you are diagnosed with it, you have to go into quarantine, or have to. You go into quarantine, and then five days after that, you wear a mask. So we did like 11 days in quarantine. I got to tell you something. I love my house and my yard. I love my girls. We have been alone too much. Poor girls, please pray for them. They're nodding. Don't nod so hard. But it is good. It is good to be out. We missed so much this last week. 
we came back a day early because we wanted to be involved in Grow Camp. And we had to watch, like most of you from afar, and I just, man, what an amazing, look, there's a lot, uh, God, God will reach the lost, we know that, He draws them in, and He chooses to use us. What an incredible way to be used as a church. You know, we've, we've done VBS a certain way for many, many years, and a couple years ago, that, the way we did that, we, we brought in a ministry that's college kids to do it. And it just didn't work out to continue doing it that way. And as a result, there was something that Alicia had been dreaming for years, this thing called Grow Camp, where we use our own people to teach a skill and art to our young people while discipling them. And it has been two years we've done this. What a huge success. I mean, we've got James and, and I think David are doing woodworking with the kids. And we've got guitars teaching kids basic guitar. We had somebody teaching karate, including the false religion. Uh, we, but I think this year the thing that was so cool was seeing pictures of the pies in the kitchen. Justin Carnley doesn't just make beaver hats. He's a cook. There it is. That's a, wow. I, I, I don't know where Justin is, but that was a huge, awesome. But that, it, was, I, it was so neat. And to see you guys using your gifts, oh, man. Can I just tell you the secret of the church is not its leadership. The secret of the church, the treasure of the church is its people. And we only accomplish what you are willing to do. And uh, I, I'm just so proud. I, I don't know of, of a different word to be part of a church that's neck deep. My grandson's too young to come, but they snuck in the back because Zach was playing guitar and he danced to the music. The kid can hardly wait to go to grow camp when he's older. And that's what we want. And to watch, uh, to watch these children and then these staff. And Adam brought his, student minister, his students in, and they worked with the kids. And then after, they had some events going on. But to see our teens serving our children, it's, it's pretty incredible to me to look at the big picture and see how our, in children's ministry, and you can, you'll see this if you have kids or grandkids in there, our goal is to get our children through the Bible by the time they get out of fifth grade, at least once, if not twice. So we get them through the major portions of Scripture in its context, understanding why those stories are there. Uh, somebody posted this week, and it might have been somebody in the church, don't be offended, but it was a pro-gun political statement, and it said, if they would have removed the rocks from, David's, from David after people got hurt, he would have had no weaponry to to beat Goliath. That's a lie. David didn't beat Goliath with a rock. He beat Goliath with the power of the living God. And that is, that is what God, God is using you and us and me and, and together. And what a privilege to see these children learning God's word and then to go into the student ministry where they really spend a lot of time taking the scriptures and making them, teaching wisdom living and getting practical. And Adam and his team are doing that. And then, um, and, and here's kind of crazy. So they finished Grow Camp this last week, and now, and Alicia's going as well as a leader. Uh, they're going to Colorado, and they are going to be exhausted. So the week after that, they're both going to burn out. We're very excited for that. But summer is a time that we amp up and disciple our children and teens as they have time. So be involved. Be prayerful. Uh, we're very excited for this group going, and be involved. Be involved in ministry. You know, we come in here as pupils to learn from, about God and to teach each other, but while we're here, we serve God together. 
And I just want you to know that it is a privilege to be a part of a church that does that. And uh, it is amazing to watch, and it was very difficult to watch from home. But thank you, all of you who participated this last week. And I know there's a lot of you that are involved in other ministries in the community. We have people leading ministries, and, and we're so proud of you, and we're praying for you. Um, wow, to be your pastor uh, is a humbling thing, and I, I just want to thank you. It, it makes it fun to come back. Um, and it is a privilege to do life with you and to know that you are going to disciple my grandchildren. That's a big deal to me. So I just wanted to take a moment to say watching from the outside uh, was uh, pretty, pretty remarkable. Thank you so much. Uh, another thing that I've been thinking about, and this morning is going to be a lot of thoughts, and, and you'll see why in a minute. But another thing I thought that was really, really cool, and I want you to know this, is you are very well fed. Three weeks ago, Adam, we had the graduation, and he talked to the kids from Scripture about truth, living out your faith that's been discipled into them. And, you know, there's a lot of lies that go around. Even inside of the church, you can be anything you want to be. That is not true. You can only be what God created you to be successfully. And our, our goal as children of God isn't to, to manipulate God into endorsing my dreams, but helping my dreams to to, to uh, be reformed into his dream for me. And uh, I was personally offended at all of the mocking of Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. Those of you who are here know that. Uh, so I'm going to use it 12 times today in this morning's message. But the, but the fact is that we have been reworked into God through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can accomplish things God, that God created us to accomplish. And that's what he talked about. And what a wonderful thing. And then Jeff took over the pulpit the next week and actually gave a biblical view of why we do Grow Camp. Phenomenal message on, on ministering and serving. And then Adam, then Zach last week opened God's Word, took God's Word, took us back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and talked about something that we don't talk about very often. And I thought it was an excellent message on work, good works is part of the salvation process. And he talked about, the, the, basically he said there were four, but there's basically three steps of salvation. Justification, the moment you cry out to God knowing you're a sinner, and he redeems you. That's a once and for all time. And then there's sanctification, working out our salvation in fear and trembling. This is when we live in obedience to God, and, and God changes us into him, his image. And that's, that's what Peter is teaching in 2 Peter chapter 1, 1 through 11 that we need to live holy lives. And, and Zach made the case so, so good that we need to be living and good, doing good works, not so that we're saved, but because we're saved. Uh, and then he talked about glorification. What happens when we go to be with the Lord, the final step of salvation? And that is when all things are completed in God. And three weeks of phenomenal teaching, um, and then you're stuck with me again. But it's just, it's such a privilege to tune in on the road, and listen in to God's Word being taught. And uh, what, what a privilege. Last Sunday, uh, it wasn't last Sunday because we were home, uh, but two Sundays ago we were on our way to Washington, D.C. We got to spend Memorial Day in Washington, which was very, very special. And, uh, but to be able to tune in wherever we're at and participate in being a student and learning and growing. And I just want you to know what a privilege it is to be part of a church where I am also a pupil. I'm also a student. I'm also growing in my knowledge of the Lord, and I'm stretched. Uh, I, I do want to remind you that our goal here at the pulpit is to open God's Word to you and to stretch your thinking. It, it, is, uh, 
It is a funny thing, and some of you are visiting Carpenter's Way, or you're watching online, and you're trying to figure out a church to go to. Your goal is not to find a church that agrees with everything you teach. Your goal is to find a church that teaches what God's Word said, even if you don't agree with it. Because there's a lot in here that, that is perplexing to us. And, and, and I, I think sometimes you could catch from my preaching as we go verse by verse that we should not be affected by the world. Now, I'm about to go into what I want to share with you this morning. And that's not true. We love the world. We love the people of the world. We love our, our state. We love our community. We love our country. And over the next year, you're going to hear me talk about some things that Julie and Annie and I learned. We went to Jamestown, where the country was started, uh, the, first, the first community in our country. We learned some really dumb things about that place, things I didn't know before. And I'll, I'll tell you as that comes. I was shocked at some of the things I learned. Then we went, to, uh, we went to Colonial Williamsburg and watched a bunch of people pretend like they were living in 1750 and had a blast there and ate at an old tavern that was from the 1730s. And you're wondering, did he drink a beer? Yes, I hate it as much now as I hated then. Did the pastor just say he drank beer? I was in a tavern eating dinner and this beer was from 1700. I don't know how any of you can drink it. It was just as bad today as it was the day they brewed it. If you're visiting Carpenter's Way and you're a Baptist, I'm really a bad Baptist. So, but then but when we spent time there and we looked at what they were teaching and we got to, we actually went one night to a reenactment of a pirate, uh, one of Blackbeard's pirates uh, trials. And we were able to participate in the trial and Annie upset the apple cart by asking some very good questions. And then we went to Monticello and saw where Thomas Jefferson's house was. And we learned that polit polit uh, politicians have been hypocrites since the very beginning. And we'll talk about that because I can't hardly not talk about it. But there's so much you learn and you realize, wow, things haven't changed. And for a true faithful man or woman of God, it's always been difficult Always, before our country, in our country, uh, while we were gone, wow, we had the shooting here in Texas, and then more shootings across the country, and the Southern Baptist Convention that we associate with for international missions, and that's our association's level, is self-destructing over hiding of sexual sins and deviance against children. And it's true, if you're wondering. I'm not going to talk about it today too much, but it's true it's been, it's been hidden for 40 years this has been going on. And you look at that and it gets discouraging. Actually, the word is it gets tiring, you know, because I'm affected by that. I, I love our country. I love guns. I've got a gun. It's never shot anybody. And no, I'm not making a pro-gun statement. But our country's weird in its reaction to all this stuff. They keep shooting at the wrong, no pun intended, at the wrong thing. It's almost like some of the video games that we play where kids watch people's heads blow up, don't affect them, but guns do. It's weird. It's, they're depraved. What is depraved? It's a big religious word that's actually not a religious word. It means darkened, and they're thinking sin makes you stupid. It does. It does make you stupid. And the more you get into it, the dumber you get. And I think over the past few weeks, it's been kind of uh, heavy on my heart. It's just kind of discouraging. Do you, do you ever feel that? And I, I, I still try to stay away from the news. I read it in the morning, but the news is dumb. It is. It's, it's, everybody's got an angle, and everybody's yelling at everybody. And, and 
Facebook political statements are dumb. You know you're not convincing anybody, right? It's all, the people who like what you post are agreeing with you already, and the people who don't. It's weird. And that's what made me think about what I want to share with you today. Instead of jumping, we'll jump back into 2 Peter next week and do verse by verse again. But I want to take a week off, and I want to show you something that I've actually been thinking about for three or four weeks Zach and I talked a little about it before his message, and this is something I thought a lot about as I escaped East Texas and the heat and spent time with COVID. Um, The the children of Israel, Abraham, so you're going to have to really think biblical, and if you don't get everything I'm saying, please bear with me. Remember that when we gather and preaching time, opening God's Word, it actually is for God's people. If you don't know Jesus, we want you to know Jesus, but this morning I need you to put on your your Bible knowledge hat because I want to take you through some things in the Old Testament. I want to remind you that the guy named Abram wasn't worshiping God when he's out there in the land of Ur tending flock. He's just somebody's son tending flock when God says, I have chosen you to make you a great nation. And I want you to leave your father and your mother, and I want you to go over here and take nobody with you but your wife, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And that was the beginning of what we now know as the Hebrew nation. It didn't have anything to do with him. He was a chosen man that would be the father of a chosen nation. And after a few years, you know, he has Isaac, and you know that story. And Isaac gives birth to Jacob, and, and it goes on until you have Joseph eventually, And you know, and God had told Abraham that in a few years he was going to send his children into slavery for 400 years. And eventually he would bring them out and he would make them a great nation and he would give them a land of promise. I promise you the land of Canaan will be yours. That's why we call it the promised land. Had nothing to do with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It had everything to do with God making a promise to these people who he chose in order to bless them and to bless the world. That was the goal. The goal was that the world would be blessed through this nation by giving us a Savior, and we know He is Jesus. Right? So that's the Old Testament story. And so these people are, Abraham's like, prove that you mean it, and you know all that story. But I want to tell you how that happened. In Exodus chapter 7, and I'm going to skim through a lot. I'm going to do a lot of reading, but I'm also going to skim through some. In Exodus chapter 7, This is where I want to start in chapter 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I commanded you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn. Hey, pause. Think about that. You know this story. This is an old story, and it's boring because you've heard it a hundred times, and you've seen it acted out on the screen and on Joseph's Technicolor dream coat. But I want you to think about what life was like for God's chosen people. I'm going to make his heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh refused to listen to you, so I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will then know that I'm the Lord. Wow, okay, so why are you doing it this way, God? Because I want to introduce myself to the Egyptians. So Moses and Aaron did just what the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old. 
He wanted to do this when he was 40. But God waits till he's 80. And Aaron was 83 when they approach and make their demands to Pharaoh. And you know what happens here. Fact is, God could have uh, done that Star Trek thing where everybody goes, disappears and shows up in the promised land, right? He could have killed all the Canaanites, the Moabites, all the otherites. He could have killed them. He could have removed them. He could have not killed them. He could have kept that land from having anybody in it. But he didn't. He said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and he's going to, over a period of time, release you, and you're going to end up there. And it takes them a long time. They have been in slavery now for 400 years. And they're in bad shape. They've been crying out to God for deliverance. And you know what happens here. While God could have solved this immediately, instead he chooses to go the slow route of of taking them to the promised land. Why? Because there's a woman, at least one woman in Jericho, a prostitute named, named Rahab, who he wanted to introduce himself to. So he takes what started as 70, and I want to remind you that this starts as about 70 people. When Joseph and Benjamin and the brothers end up in Egypt in the land of Goshen, There's only about 70 of them. By the time this 400 years is over, there is somewhere around 2 million of them, we estimate. The count is 700,000 men, and when you add women and children, we believe that that, that there were about 2 million of them. And the reason God does that is to incubate them, and he successfully does. So this is a glimpse in the life of the chosen people of God as God works out his long game. Exodus 7, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along a staff that turned into a snake. Then announce to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Well, why does God just kill Pharaoh? Why doesn't he just kill the Egyptians? Why doesn't he just pick them up with the Star Trek type thinking and take them over? Because he wants to introduce himself to people, including a guy named Pharaoh and Egyptians. And by the way, on a side note, many of you are not aware, you haven't studied close enough, not a shot, but there's a lot of Egyptians that actually leave with the Hebrews because they see that their God is the only real God. So what is God doing in the slow plan? He's introducing himself. And because of it, their life is really, really chaotic. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with the staff in my hand and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take, off your, uh, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt, all its rivers, canals, ponds, and its re- reservoirs. Turn all of the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood, even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. So Moses and Aaron did just what the Lord commanded them. And as Pharaoh and all of his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff, struck the Nile, or the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died, and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. Pause. Guess who else had stinky blood water? The Hebrew people, they experienced this as well. 
But again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they too turned water into blood. So Pharaoh's heart remained at heart. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Then all the Egyptians dug along the riverbank to find drinking water, for they could drink the water from the Nile. Seven days passed from the time the Lord struck the Nile. That's to pause. We look at this when we read it, and we think about Pharaoh, and we think about Moses. We think about the Egyptians kind of on the outside. We don't think about the chosen people who are going, all of our water is turned to blood. This stinks. Where are we going to get water? They too had to dig in the sand so it would filter out the blood. Had nothing to do with them. Why would God allow them to hurt? Because that was part of the plan. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce him. And I'm skipping, by the way. Skipping sections. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across the entire land. I mean, blood is one thing, but frogs are worse. The, land, the Nile River will swarm with frogs. They will come up out of the river and into your palace, even into your bedroom and go into your bed. Look, East Texans, I know that you don't mind cockroaches that big. I mean, see, this is why I asked if you were going to be in the room. Alicia Bonin, she looks all Yankee, but she is all Southern girl. I know you don't know what I mean. That was not a shot. I don't know why I said it that way. But this girl loves to find live, huge roaches and throw them at me. It's disgusting. Right? Yeah. She said it's pretty funny. Well, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden my wife heard about it. Now she picks them up and chases them, chases me around the house with them. I hate wood roaches. And it probably is partially because three times they've landed on my forehead in the middle of the night. That's a true story. I have a huge forehead, probably a five head, and they like to land on my forehead. It is so gross. What? They do. They la- No, I don't scream. I, we, were, we were doing some renovation on our house, and one landed on me in the middle of the night. And we had put a bunch of beds together in Annie's room, and Julie and Annie and I are sleeping together. And all of a sudden, at about 2 in the morning, Julie says, what's going on? I'm on the bed like this. She's, she's like, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. But there's something on my forehead. I got this handled. I thought it was a bat. I turned on the light. It was a cockroach twice as big as a bat. I know you don't have a problem with those things, but I think frogs would be worse. Dead frogs in your bed. Yeah. Verse 19, I'm going to jump down there. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take off your staff, raise your hand over the waters of Egypt, all the rivers, canals, ponds, and reservoirs. Oh, I'm on the wrong section. Altogether. Uh, okay, verse 3 of chapter 8. Then the Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up out of the river and into your palace and into your bedroom and onto your bed. They will enter your houses of your officials and your people, and they will jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. So what did I do for a living last week? I watched videos online. Some of them are so funny. But there was this one last week where they were, it reminded me of this. They were kneading dough and flies got into it. And the next picture is a guy eating a piece of bread with raisins. Mm. I'm sorry, Lydia. 
But the truth is, this was their life. This was the life of the chosen people too. I know we think Egyptians and Pharaoh. I'm going to keep moving here. But frogs will jump on you, your people, and all your officials. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, raise your staff in your hand in all the rivers and ponds of Egypt and bring up the frogs all over the land. So, Moses, so Aaron raised his, his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the whole land. But the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. They too caused frogs to come up to the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, please, with the Lord, take away the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so that they can offer sacrifices. Again, this doesn't say that the Israelites were kept from this. In a few moments, you're going to see that they were kept from it. But at this point, those nasty frogs, that nasty blood, it was on them too. And we could be going, God, why are you letting this happen in the world? Because I'm making myself do known. I'm introducing myself. Well, why do you have to introduce yourself to us? We're already worshipers. Just hold on. Verse 9, you set the time, Moses replied, tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials, and your people, then you and your houses will rid, be rid of frogs, and they will remain only in the Nile River. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. All right, Moses replied, it is as you have said. Then you will know that there is no one like the Lord our God, and the frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials, and your people, and they will remain only in the Nile River. So Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's palace, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had inflicted on Pharaoh. Then the Lord did just what Moses had predicted. The frogs in the houses and courtyards and fields all died. Yeah, they didn't disappear. They died. And the Egyptians piled them into great heaps and a terrible stench filled the whole land. I'll bet. But when Pharaoh saw the relief had come, he became stubborn and refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had predicted. Lydia, I'm so glad a minute ago you said, Mark, because this was their life. And sometimes, maybe in the last three weeks, I go, God, uh. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron to raise his staff and strike the ground. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. You know, I was so excited to move to East Texas, but nobody told me about the love bugs. I don't mean the once in a while on the white side of the house love bugs. I mean when they are major swarming. No, they don't bite, but they are nasty. And every truck in this area and every car is just filled with dead love bugs. Can you imagine what this was like? The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout all of the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just what the Lord had commanded them. And when Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground, gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals, and all the dust in the land of Egypt turned to gnats. Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed. And the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they can worship me. If you refuse, they will send swarms of, I will send swarms of flies on you. Gnats and flies? On your officials, your people, and all the houses. The Egyptians' homes will be filled with flies and the ground covered with them. But this time, I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. Oh, wow. So everything up to this point, from fleas to frogs to blood, they weren't spared. You, you guys know where I'm going with this, right? It continues. And yes, he, pro he protects the Hebrews from this point on, 
No flies will be found there, he said. Then you will know that I am the Lord and I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he said. A thick swarm of flies filled Pharaoh's palace and the houses of the officials. The whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. All right, go ahead, offer sacrifices to your God, he said, but do it here in this land. But Moses replied, that wouldn't be right. The Egyptians detest the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God. Look, if we offer sacrifices here where the Egyptians can see us, they will stone us. We must take a three-day trip into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. All right, go ahead, Pharaoh replied. I will let you go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God. But don't go too far. Now hurry and pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow swarms of flies will disappear from you and your officials and your people. But I'm warning you, Pharaoh, don't lie to us again and refuse to let the people go sacrifice. So Moses left Pharaoh's palace and pleaded with the Lord to remove the flies. And the Lord did as Moses asked and caused swarms of flies to disappear from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not a single fly remained. And Pharaoh again became stubborn and refused to let the people go. Just take a pause. We're almost done. Keep, I'm going to keep reading here. I just want to show you. Instead of looking at Pharaoh and God, look at his chosen people. Look what their life is like. Chapter 9, verse 1. Go back to Pharaoh. I, I promise I'm almost done reading. I know this is a long section. But I want you to get the gist of this section. Go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses. Tell him this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go and worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go... The hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats, with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die. The Lord has already set a time for the plague to begin. He has declared that it will strike the land tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he said. The next morning, all the, all the livestock of the Egyptians died. But the Israelites didn't lose a single animal. Pharaoh set his officials to investigate, and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn, and he refused to let them go. I think you could make the case that the reason God pre protects the Hebrews of these last two plagues isn't because he doesn't want them to have a bad day as much as he wants to point to Pharaoh how specific his control is. Because even if you don't have dead cattle, the dead cattle across the road still bum you out. It still affects us. Even if we have a little bubble of protection around us, it still hurts. Refused to let him go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses top it, toss it in the air while Pharaoh watches. The ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals throughout the land. This is not a good month. So they took soot from the brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. And as Pharaoh watched, Moses threw the soot in the air and boils broke out on the people and animals alike. Even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And just as the Lord had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. And the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. So this is like the fifth time 
in this text, and I haven't read all of them, where it explains exactly why God is doing this. God is saying to Pharaoh, I want you and your people and the world to know that I'm God. He's introducing himself. By now, I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth, but I have spared you for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To show you my power and spread my fame throughout the earth. But you still lorded over my people and refused to let them go. So tomorrow at this time, I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any animal and person left outside will die when the hail falls. So this plague, God even warns them, here's how you survive my next plague. You get all your animals and all your people in under shelter and they'll live. Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said. They quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the fields. God's mercy. But those who paid no attention to the word of the Lord left theirs out in the open. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand towards the sky so hail may fall on the people, the livestock, and all the plants throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed towards the earth and the Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that and such devastating hail and continuous lightning. It left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hail was the region of Goshen where the people of Israel lived. Then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he confessed. Oh, this time. The Lord is the righteous one and my people and I are wrong. Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. All right, Moses replied, and as soon as I leave the city, I'll lift my hands and pray to the Lord. Then the thunder and hail will stop and you will know that the, Lord, the earth belongs to the Lord. But I know that you and your officials will still not, do not fear God, fear the Lord God. All the flax and the barley were ruined by hail because the barley had formed heads and the flax was budding. But the wheat and the emmer uh, were, wheat were spared because they had not yet sprouted from the ground. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and went out for the city. When he lifted his hands to the Lord, the thunder and hail had stopped and a downpour had ceased. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had stopped, he and his officials sinned again and the Pharaoh became stubborn. Because his heart was hard, Pharaoh refused to let the people leave just as the Lord had predicted through Moses. And you know, uh, you probably know, that this continues for three more, uh, three more uh, plagues. There's locusts, darkness, and eventually the firstborn of anyone who doesn't apply blood to the doorpost of their house, they die. We all know the story. We all love the story. We've made a nice musical out of it on, in, in, in New York, on Broadway, the Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's made a movie in Hollywood. And the truth is, I think to our misunderstanding, we're so busy looking at Pharaoh, Egypt, and God that we forget that the Hebrew chosen people who didn't do anything wrong experienced all of this earthly struggle simply because they were the chosen people of God who wants to introduce himself to the Egyptians and a woman named Rahab in the town of Jericho. It was a very dark time for them. I mean, as God does his work, they're still flailing around as slaves. Guess who probably picked up the frogs? Guess who probably dug in the sand to get water out of the ground? Well, that wasn't very nice of God. But now they're out. 
God has done His work of introducing Himself to the Egyptians and to the world. And the Hebrews are free from slavery and on their own way to the promised land. And we all know that after the plagues are over and they leave with wealth and Egyptians go with them and they have all the gold and the silver and the cattle. And as they get across the Red Sea, it is smooth sailing, man. Exodus 13, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. You all know this. You've heard it 5,000 times, but it's old news. Please take note that anybody who could read a map back then realized that God is not taking them the quick route. Okay, you've introduced yourself to Egypt, now let's get to the promised land. No, I'm going to take you the long route. Why? Because God said if my people are faced with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Jumping down to verse 21. Then the Lord went ahead of them and He guided them through the day with a pillar of cloud. Think about how cool this is. And He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Oh God, that's the difference. If I would have had a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night, I would trust you more. I gave you my word. Just so you know where I'm going in the next 10 minutes. Your promised land awaits you. You know exactly where it's at. And we're just wandering around waiting for God to finish His work. And the world is flailing. And we look at each other and go, how can people? And you know why we ask that question? Because we don't really believe that people's hearts are evil. We sort of like them. And that's fine. It's good to love the world. But we sort of think they're good people. And the problem is they're not. We're not good people. We're redeemed people. We've been declared good. We haven't earned goodness. And you're going to see that as they go. Pillar of smoke, pillar of fire. They end up at the edge of the Red Sea. Verse Chapter 14, verse 5. When the word, word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. <gasps> they left. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh har harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who left with his fist raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces of Pharaoh's armies and all the horses and chariots and charioteers and his troops. And the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near some weird named place across from another weird named place. So we got the, the Hebrews are against the waterfront. They've got Egyptians chasing them. And they're afraid of dying no matter... <clears throat> Look, by now surely the Hebrews knew that God was more powerful than the Egyptians, Right? So what they did was they made popcorn, they grabbed their soccer chairs, and they watched God work on the Egyptians, right? No, they didn't. As Pharaoh approached, verse 10 says of chapter 14, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out of here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? 
We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves in Egypt. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And they made bumper stickers and they put them on the back of their horses. Is that not us? Oh, dear God. We know you are powerful against the Egyptians, but if you just would have left us alone, we were fairly happy. But Moses told the people, thank you for laughing, because it's ironically funny. But Moses said, told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians will see you see today. Uh, the dr- Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Then the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Yeah, right. Are you really worried about the government of the United States of America? You need to get in your car and go to Virginia and find out what it was like 270 years ago. It's really not changed that much. Well, I don't want it to get uncomfortable. Neither did they. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to walk, to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots, and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I'm the Lord. Are you still teaching the Egyptians? And the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian-Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up the path through the water with a strong east wind. Then the wind blew all night, turned the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Yes. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like wall on both sides. Exodus 14, 29. Verse 30. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the shore. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled in awe with before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. Finally. Yes. All is solved. Everybody's trusting the Lord. It's a celebration. Look what... Could be me. Look what God had done. Life was so good. I can change over if I need to. Can you hear me? You're following me, right? I know this is a lot of Scripture, but I just want you to know why the Old Testament is written. Because we haven't changed. And life hasn't changed. Songs were sung. Once they get to the other side, dances were danced. Monuments are built to the faithfulness of God. And now that God has finally gotten it right by killing all the Egyptian military, the people are ready to trust Him. Right? Right? Chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled behind God's cloud, I add, in the desert for three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Okay, maybe not so smooth. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Now, I just want to remind you that they were led to Marah by a pillar of smoke and fire. So God is still in their presence. But they don't like where God takes them. 
What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw the wood in the water, and it was good to drink. Wow. Lesson learned. Back on the road. God is faithful. Exodus 16. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed to the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, on the month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and, and, and ate the, all the bread we could eat when we were done being servants. And, <sighs> but now the Lord has brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death with his smoke and his fire. And the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test him in this to see whether or not they follow my instructions. You see, on the sixth day, they're going to gather food, and when they prepare it, they'll have twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, by evening you will realize that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And by the way, God's going to also provide quail and manna. Are you bored yet? No, it's going to be a big finish. You're going to love the finish. Stick with me, it'll be worth it. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel, verse, chapter 17, verse 1, left the, the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped down Riphidim, and there was no water there for people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? Does anybody remember we didn't have any livestock until the Egyptians gave it to us? Another point. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. All right, I know, you get it. All right, Exodus 19. It's going to get really good here. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Now remember, every time they cried out, God provided. Every time. He never didn't provide for them. From remembering their first cry to deliver us out of slavery, to food in the wilderness, to water in the wilderness, every time. Then, uh, so they get to the base of Mount, and they set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Almost done, I promise, I keep saying that. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, and he said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain. He called together the elders and the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And the people responded together. Read this with me. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. You are about as lousy as they are. That was not reading along. They did it together. We will do it. Yes, we know he's God. He's delivered. Thank you so much. So Moses brought his, people, his people's answer back to the Lord. Chapter 32, verse 1. By the way, we're going through the whole book of Exodus this morning. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, <laughs> this is the best part of the Bible, next to the crucifixion thing. Come on, they said. They gather around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us gods that can lead us. 
We don't know what happened to that fellow Moses. Don't you love their wording? That guy, Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, okay. Take gold, uh, take gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took their gold rings and their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold and he melted it down and he molded it into the shape of a calf. What an idiot. You think we have false teachers today in leadership of the church? God's chosen people have always had to discern for themselves whether their leaders are following God. How about you start thinking for yourself? They formed a calf, and when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar. He just gets wrapped up in it all, in front of the calf, in front of the calf and he announced, Tomorrow we will have a festival to the Lord. Then <laughs> the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings, and after this they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry at Aaron's leadership. Then the Lord told Moses, quick, quick Moses, go down the mountain, your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt, to which I don't think Moses liked that because he recorded it for us. They have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from, from the way I commanded them to live. And when they, when they came near the camp, verse chapter 32, verse 19, jumping down, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, and he burned it. Then he ground it into power, and he threw it into the water, and he forced the people to drink it. Dude's mad. Finally, after he makes them drink the calf, he turns to Aaron and he demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Hey, my Lord, dude, don't be so upset. You yourself know how messed up these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us from the land of Egypt. So he told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And they brought it to me. I simply threw it in the fire and out came a cow. Those are his chosen people. These are his chosen people. These are the people who saw the ten plagues. These are the ones who walked through the sea. These are the people who saw the hand of God in smoke by day and fire by night. These are the people who watched Moses throw a piece of wood in and take bad water and turn it to good. These are the people who cried out to God and he provided everything they could ask, even when they were out of order. They were a royal nation, a people of promise, heading to land that were promised to them, that they were told they would never, ever see defeat if they just trusted him. You would think with all they had seen God do, they would ignore their eyes and feelings Get some popcorn and watch God work around them and in them and through them. And so should we. The agenda of this country, the immoral agenda of this country is being allowed by the sovereign one in the same way that he allowed Egypt to enslave them for his own purposes. And I don't know what all of his purposes are, neither do you. 
But I do know He's given me a pillar of smoke and fire called His Word to follow and trust in Him. No matter how hard it gets. And I know that sometimes my heart cries like these Egyptians out of foolishness. I don't like what's happening in the world, but we were warned this would happen in the garden. It's almost like the church has never read the Bible. I don't like schools being shot up. But the answer to schools being shot up is not prayer in school, but people knowing the living God that you and I know. Our answer is not having a, a fight about guns. It's sharing with people that are distraught in marriage breakups and same-sex relationships that don't work any more than heterosexual relationships work and telling them that hope is found in God and remembering that even when they don't listen and even when they hate us, our promised land is coming. We're not there yet. And for whatever wisdom God has, He has chosen not to pick us up like Star Trek and put us there that we are here for a purpose and a reason, and we are a people of hope in God, not here. And yes, it's painful. And yes, it hurts. And yes, watching our friends and family die and having COVID this week, it stinks. It's discouraging. Going and fun. Do, do you know what they did at Jamestown? <laughs> this blew my mind. I did not know this. I know some of you are going to go, duh, you didn't know this? So they sent 100 people over from businesses in England, right? Now, these aren't, the, these aren't this is not um, Massachusetts with the pilgrims. I'm talking about the first colony. They were sent over to try to make money here. And they sent 100 dudes around 100 people, all men, with nobody who knew how to deal with the wilderness, how to build a fort, or how to protect. They sent all craftsmen over here, and they wondered why they starved to death. They just figured that they could talk into trade with the Native Americans and people who were here. They just were so arrogant, they didn't provide for themselves. Why? Because when your God is money, you take your eye off the health. Men and women, our God is God. And He's doing something right now. And there has never been a time in our lives where people are more hungry for hope and peace and joy. And it is not going to be found by placating the gays or by hating them. It is going to be found in ministering to anyone and everyone we have the opportunity to minister to. Gay or straight, pants around the ankles or up to their chest, old and young, anybody we sit next to at the doctor's office, at the restaurants, we are not here to make sure America stays conservative or is conservative. We are here to build the kingdom of God because we're on our way and we want as many Rahabs to go with us as they can. And we got to remember that because life can get in your way. It's discouraging. And I got news for you. The Southern Baptist Convention is not going to stop the work of God no matter how many reprobate the last 40 years have been. And it was evil. Evil. Well, are we still Southern Baptist? We send our money to the Southern Baptist International Mission Board. Just some of it, because we believe in their mission work. We're not talking about not being Southern Baptist. We're, we're independent. We're really a Bible church. But until God calls us to do something different, we're going to keep being focused and trusting Him. If that begins to change and it becomes a distraction, we'll talk about it as a church family. But the Southern Baptist Convention does not determine Carpenter's Way faithfulness. Do you want to know what determines our faithfulness? What you did this past week. 
what you followed Elisha with, and Adam. How many people are going, Adam, this week? Is Adam here? No, he, he goes with Jeff. They go to a different church. Uh, that's an old joke. Alicia, how many adults are going? Do you know? Twelve adults going. How many, women, how many men and women were involved in Grow Camp staff? Oh, gosh, that's the answer. She has a foul mouth, but she knows what she's talking about. A lot. There's a picture online. Huh? Over 100. Thank you, family. Silence. Over 100. We average about 400 on Sunday morning when people aren't on vacation. That's a fourth of our congregation we're involved. In, and, and we shouldn't high-five ourselves. That's what we do. I'm gone and other people preach. Adam, or Adam what's your name? The guy, the, Chad. Chad gets up here, explains the music he's writing. We're all watching what's going on with, you know, the music industry, the Christian music industry, and you go, man, what's happening? It's always been that way. Some of you need to read the second half of the story, It Is Well With My Soul. I'm sorry, I've been avoiding telling you that, but Horatio Spafford did not end well. We keep our focus on Jesus, we sing the Scripture, we challenge each other, and then we go home. Some of us will, some of us will die in the journey, others of us will make it to the rapture. But we go home when God says it's time to go home and we never take our eyes off of Him. Because this is discouraging what's going on. And in light of that, Peter wrote 2 Peter chapter 1 by His divine power. Big finish here. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. The one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or they're blind forgetting what they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. And if right now you are not living faithfully and morally, today is the day to get back with it. Thank God for grace. You've been forgiven Move out. God will honor you. Serve Him. If you're not serving, serve. Get your eyes off of the SBC. Get your eyes off of, of our president. Get your eyes off of the Congress and put your eyes on Jesus and then pray for those. In the meantime, we are accountable to God how much we trust the smoke and the fire. And we must double down on our hope being the promised land that is coming and the journey being difficult but God-centered. That's what I've been thinking about for three weeks. And that's where I want us to go. We must never, ever look away 
from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the minute we do is the minute we hate the water, we don't like the food, man is old, and we expect more from God. When in reality, we are His chosen people, and the road is going to be tough, and then we go home. Lord Jesus, help us to seek first Your kingdom and everything else second. And I thank You, Father, for the way You're using our, our, our family here. But Lord Jesus, we could get proud, we could get arrogant, and we could forget that it is only the grace of God that allows us to accomplish anything in the name of God. So may we be obsessed with Jesus. In your holy name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day. Uh, you can still join the new members class if you'd like to.